Hi. <laughs> uh, the challenge of Trinity Sunday, it's Trinity Sunday, um, is to try to say something that helps us understand how the Trinity has anything to do with us. What does the Trinity have to do with you? Um, this is one of the hard ones. Uh, what is this, this concept, this kind of complex philosophical teaching of the church that God is, you know, this complex language that we say every Sunday when we say the Nicene Creed, um, that God is three persons, one being, light from light, God from God. What do these archaic um, words, how does this long-standing thousands of years definition of who God is, what does that have to do with what you're going to eat for breakfast tomorrow? You know, what does that have to do with our daily lives? Um, so I'm going to try to say something about that. Uh, and to help, I, I, I want to use some pictures, which I like to do. Uh, it's on the, on the front of your bulletin. Um, you'll see a picture, uh, an icon. Um, this is, who's seen this image before? Yeah, a couple folks. Um, so this is the icon for the Holy Trinity. This is, there's many images, many depictions of the Trinity in the church, in the history of the church. But this is kind of the one. This is the one that everybody has kind of agreed on. Um, for the last 500 years or so, this is the best one. Um, it comes from us, uh, it comes to us from Russia. Famous iconographer Andrei Rublev um, wrote this icon, and everybody basically agrees it's the best. Even us Episcopalians, we use this Orthodox image to help us understand the Trinity. And um, I wanted to use it to try to help us a little bit this morning. Um, who knows, maybe some of you who know what we're looking at, can you help us understand what we're looking at? If you, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but do you remember anything about this image when you've looked at it? Nobody on the altar is allowed to talk. <laughs> yes, all right, go ahead, Jay. Three persons in conversation. Three persons in conversations. Yeah, so, I mean, it's what's... The first thing that's fascinating about this image is it's not actually depicting the Trinity at all. Um, this is three angels. This is depicting actually a particular scene from the book of Genesis. This is depicting when the three angels come to visit Sarah and Abraham. So right away, that's like a very fascinating decision, right? Somebody sits down and tries to draw a picture of the Trinity and they decide that they're gonna instead draw a picture of this scene from the Old Testament when these three angels are visiting Sarah and Abraham. Remember the three angels come, they tell them they're going to have a baby, Sarah laughs, Abraham thinks the angels are crazy, Sarah goes to prepare some food, and we don't, Sarah and Abraham are also not in this image, we just see the three angels. And so Rublev's made this decision to say, I'm going to try to depict the Trinity by not depicting the Trinity, which is the first thing to remember about the Trinity. Never try to draw a picture of the Trinity. <laughs> um, because you will inevitably be a heretic. There's just too many ways to do it wrong. There's too many ways to do it wrong. And so Rublev was very smart. He said, I'm not going to try to depict the Trinity. I'm going to try to gesture towards something that might help us understand the Trinity. Because the Trinity is kind of utterly mysterious. And things that are utterly mysterious we shouldn't try to directly depict. 
And so instead, he's like, I'm going to depict these three angels. And so then the question is, in what way does this image gesture towards something that might help us understand the Trinity? Well, we know part of the Trinity is the three part, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so three angels represent the threeness of the Trinity, right? Pretty easy, pretty easy to understand. But the next thing that's interesting is look at their eyes. Look at the eyes of the angel. If you notice, the one in the center is looking towards the angel on the right, the one on the right is looking towards the one on the left, the one on the left is looking back towards the one in the middle, meaning there is this never-ending loop of eyesight going on between the three of them. The three of them are gazing, each one is gazing at the next one, so it's creating this movement in the image of what their eyes are doing um, to try to tell you that these three persons are in harmony with one another. So the three distinct angels is the threeness, and the kind of eyesight between the three of them is the oneness. That's kind of the whole ballgame when it comes to this image. That's the way in which Rublev was trying to help us understand that the Trinity is both three and one. Three persons, one being, three persons, one substance. But what he's trying to say about the Trinity by combining it in that way is that if you want to go back to the very beginning of time, if you want to erase all of history, if you want to ask yourself what was the world like before any, what was anything like before there was anything, you're going to get something that looks like this. God in community, in relationship with God's own self. Before anything at all, what there is is God in perfect loving, harmonious relationship with God's own self. That's what this three-in-one is trying to depict, this never-ending stream of longing, loving eyesight, longing, loving gaze amidst three distinct people. It's trying to say that who God is fundamentally is loving relationship. And that gaze is kind of uninterrupted. That who God is is a universe unto God's own self. God is perfect. God has everything that God could possibly need or want. He has perfect, eternal, never-ending, harmonious, loving relationship. What more could anyone want? That's what God is already. And that's what this picture helps us understand. Everybody with me so far? Yeah, okay. I know it's a little boring. Just stick with me. Um, another way that the church has learned to talk about this is through the lens of Proverbs chapter 8, this reading that we just had, Proverbs chapter 8 about, about capital W, wisdom. And the church has long interpreted wisdom in Proverbs 8 to be, um, to mean the second person of the Trinity, to mean Jesus, to say in some mysterious way, this must be Jesus, because read it, read what this says again starting kind of a middle third, first third of it. The Lord created me at the beginning of his work. This is wisdom, capital W, wisdom, speaking in the first person. The Lord created me in the beginning of his work, the first of his acts from long ago. Ages ago I was set up. At the first, before the beginning of the earth, when there were no depths, I was brought forth. Before there were springs, before there were mountains, before the earth had fields, before the world's first bits of soil, Again, it's a way of saying, before there was anything else, before there was any creation of anything else, God was in relationship with God's own self. 
weird, philosophically complex, but are, she's still with me. Um, keep going, when he, before he established the heavens, I was there, drew a circle on the face of the deep. When he made firm the skies above, we established the fountains of the deep. Stay with me, stay with me. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always. So not just is there community, but there is delight. This is, again, perfect, loving, eternal, harmonious relationship amidst God's own being. Who God is, is loving, perfect relationship. And then, at the end of Proverbs 8, everything kind of blows open. And we are rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the human race. Which changes everything. You see how it changes everything. It changes everything because that's where it goes from God being contained, perfect, loving relationship within the universe of God's own being to that being breaking open, that delight, that love, that relationship breaking open to include the inhabited world, to include the human race. Okay, now turn to the very back of your bulletin. <laughs> Everybody knows this picture, just slightly scandalous for a church context, but very small. And who knows, everybody knows where this is, right? Everybody, anybody seen this in person? It's cool, right? Um, Sistine Chapel on the roof, the creation of Adam. Everybody knows this, we all see everybody's got, you know, like, uh, the hands, right? <laughs> um, but there's something else about this image that I wanted to point out that I think is relevant to this conversation, and it's the, the father's other arm. Not the one reaching out towards Adam, but the father's other arm is draped around the shoulder of someone whom the church has long interpreted to be Lady Wisdom. To be Jesus. To be the second person of the Trinity. Which means it's depicting this exact breaking open of the life of the Trinity to create humanity. Right? So you can imagine the father turned back towards Lady Wisdom, turned back towards the second person of the Trinity, and that's basically the Rublev icon. Perfect community, in and, in and amongst themselves, intimate, loving, forever, harmonious, everything they could ever need relationship. And for some reason, that breaks open. And the Father, with the Son and the Spirit, creates the world and creates us. All this to say, we often, as human beings, or at least I have often in my life, and I imagine some of you at least have struggled with the question, does God exist? Trinity Sunday kind of flips that question on its head in a way. According to this shape, if God was in God's own self before the foundation of the world, everything that God needed already, if God was already perfect, harmonious, loving, eternal relationship in God's own self, 
The question is not, does God exist? The miracle is that you and I exist. The miracle is that God, for whatever reason, decided to break open something that was already perfect, full, and beautiful. See, that's the crazy thing. We didn't have to exist. God already had everything. God already had everything that God could ever want. But for some reason, God broke open the shape of his own life so that we might be included in it. What is man that you should be mindful of him? Yet you have made them a little lower than the angels. So let's end with the first, let's end with Rublev again. So icons are written in what's called inverted perspective. Anybody know what inverted perspective means? All right, cool, this, this is about to blow your mind, so this is so cool. <laughs> um, so if you're, if you're a regularly trained person, artistic person, you are trained that when you're, when you're drawing anything uh, in the Western tradition, you draw something with a, with a vanishing point in the horizon, right? All, all that means is that if you want to draw something that's close to you as the viewer, you draw it big. And if you want to draw something that's far away from you, you draw it small, right? Vanishing point meaning that if you want to depict a tree that's so far away, eventually it's going to completely vanish over the horizon, right? That's, that's what I mean. Icons are written in inverted perspective, meaning that they take that vanishing point, that horizon line, from inside the world of the image and they put it out in front of the image. So actually the rules inside the world of an icon are, are inverted, so it means that actually the farther something away is in the, in the image of an icon, the bigger you make it. Okay, super nerd stuff so far, but it's about to be cool. What that means is that you, as the viewer of the image, are inside the image. You see what I mean? The horizon line, the vanishing point, is behind you as someone looking at the image. That's why icons are written in the way they are. That's why they look weird to you. It looks like someone doesn't know how to draw. But they know exactly what they're doing because icons are meant to be an instrument of prayer. They're designed to be something that invites you into their world. Which is to say, the miracle of Trinity Sunday, the miracle of the Trinity in general, is that actually you are the fourth person sitting at that table. So this is not a sermon that is supposed to leave you with like a guilty pang and so I'm going to go do this in the world. I'll do that next week, maybe. <laughs> this is just a sermon that is meant to leave you with something to marvel at. That you exist at all. You exist at all because of God's radical decision 
to break open his own life to include us in his perfect, eternal, loving relationship. La, la, la. <laughs> Amen. Amen.